Hallelujah. So last week we began a new series titled The Glorious Church. Hallelujah. You can sit down. And what a foundation we laid last week. In fact, our understanding about what church is shifted completely. And today we're going to look at the part two of this series, The Glorious Church. But before we look at what we have today, I want us to look at the four definitions we gave to the church last week. And this is just a quick recap. The very first definition we gave to the church is that the church is God's chosen people whom he has redeemed from the grips of the enemy and has brought into his kingdom so that they will testify about who he is here on earth and in eternity. So we are saying that the church of God is God's people that he has what? Redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And we said that the word ecclesia, which is the church, comes from two words, ek, which means out of, and then klesis, which means a calling. So a calling out of. So God has called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. He's taking you from the camp of the enemy and he has brought you into his own what, camp. And together we have been brought into the kingdom of God to testify that God is God. That people will look at your life and not just your verbal testimony, but when they look at your lifestyle, they can see that God is at work inside of you. The second definition of the word church is that the church is a gathering of the citizens of God's kingdom to see the state of their individual lives and the state of the kingdom on earth and make the necessary adjustments to align with the ways of God. So we are saying that the church is God's people gathered together. When we gather together, we are not just gathering together, we are looking at the state of our lives in terms of where we are now, and then we match it up with where, what the word of God expects us to be. And when we look at the state of our lives, where we are now, against where God wants us to be, then we make adjustments to align with the ways of God. And that means that you become a better person. But we are not just looking at our individual lives, we are looking at corporately, where the kingdom is, where we are now. And then we say that, ah, where we are, is it where we are supposed to be? And then we make adjustments. So we look at Kavod, for instance, and we look at the community, and we are saying, ah, there are thousands of people in the community. Is this where we are supposed to be? No, we make adjustments and we push the church of God forward. The third definition of the word church is the whole company of the redeemed throughout the present era that is referred to as the body of Christ. So we are saying that the church is every believer everywhere. That is in Afghanistan, in Ghana, in London, in Iraq, wherever. Everywhere, all of us as believers, together we are known as what? The body of Christ. That is why in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. All of us are believers and together we are what? The body of Christ. And, and in a couple of weeks I'll be teaching a bit more on that. Then the fourth one is that the church is an organized company of professed believers in a particular location under appointed spiritual authorities by God. So we are saying that the church is everywhere on this earth in different places, but God's desire is that you and I will be gathered in a particular location under a spiritual leadership like where we are now. And, and this is God's desire and this is God's design 
That is why I'm happy that you are, you are in the house of the Lord today. Because every time you miss our gathering together, and it is not because you, you couldn't do anything about it. It's just because, oh, today, Pastor, I was tired. Oh, today, I didn't feel like coming to church. Oh, today, like all the excuses you give to me when I call you. No, no, no. If it is not for any of that and it's something that was out of your control, then if you are at home, what you are doing is that you are living in a disobedience at that moment when you are at home. Because by God's design, you are supposed to be here. And, and you know, I taught something at the headquarters the other day that every time we gather together, God respects our gathering because he gave spiritual leadership over the local church. So when we gather on Sundays from 9 o'clock to 11.15, God respects that from 9 o'clock to 11.15, everyone who belongs to GTP Kavod Assembly should be in the place that I've designated for them to meet. When you're out of that place doing your own thing, you miss out on what God wants to do in your life. Unfortunately, that is the reality. Do you want me to prove to you? Go to Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. The Bible says, And the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And he asked, Adam, where are you? So God had a designated meeting, a meeting time with them. And God walked in the garden to meet them at that moment. So many of us have missed out on what God has been trying to do in your life. Because some of the things that God will do, he will only do when we meet corporately. He will do some things, as, I mean, your individual life, but there are some of the things that he will do only when we meet corporately. And so the church is what? The body of people gathered together, called out of their homes under a spiritual authority to meet with our Father and our God. So now we are going back to our passage for today's lesson. And today I want you to get ready because we're going to discover some amazing things in the scriptures. Hallelujah. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Then Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, I used to say Hades, but the Greek word actually Hades, <laughs> shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'll be doing that next week. Those who like binding and losing, come next week. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. So when Jesus introduced the idea of the church to the disciples, after Peter gave that interesting revelation, Jesus made four important statements. The first statement he said is that, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. That's the very first, first statement. The second statement Jesus made is that, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
Then the third statement he made is that, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That third statement is so powerful, eh? God will in next week, I will show you. Number four, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are the four important statements governing the church. So today we are going to do the first two. And then God will end us, we will do the next two. So let's look at the very first statement. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. Now in this very first statement, one of the things that we discover very, very much in the scripture is that Jesus qualifies the church with the word mine. What he's saying is that the church is his. Can I break some news to you? GTP Kabod Assembly does not belong to Pastor Ima. Me, I'll come and go. This church will still be here. In fact, God, Jesus was not just talking about the local church. He was talking about the entirety of the body of Christ. And he says, I will build my church. So when he says my church, the very first thing he means is that the church, the body of believers across the globe belongs to him. He is the owner and possessor of the body. Jesus is what? The owner and the possessor of the body of his people. That is why no pastor has authority over you in terms of owning you. We only have authority in terms of overseeing your growth. So last week I said this and I want to repeat it. That, that when you travel somewhere, you go somewhere, don't go and be in a church where the pastor or whoever is in charge feels they own you. Because you are not owned by anyone but only Jesus. None of us shed our blood for you. It is only one person who shed his blood. And that is Jesus. I've not even shed my blood for my children before. I just, I just cut myself the other day doing something for my little girl. And I looked at the scar. And I got this small scar. And then it reminds me of that good thing that I did for so I can imagine Jesus looking in his palms every single day and seeing that good thing that he did for you to redeem and save you. He's the only one that shed his blood. So the church belongs to him. The second thing that, that my church means is that those that are entrusted with the responsibility of oversight in the local churches are only caretakers. We are not the owners. Every pastor, every prophet, every apostle, every um, pastor, every teacher, every evangelist, every one of us that has been given oversight on, in the church of God, we are not owners. We are only what? Caretakers. We are supposed to take care of you and help you to grow in the Lord and help you to know the Lord. That is why you don't have to put your faith in any pastor because none of us can save you. That's why you don't have to, it's like, if my, pastor doesn't, if my pastor doesn't pray for me, it doesn't work. If my pastor doesn't do, no, no, no. Yes, we are there to help you, but we are, look, Jesus, we are all looking up to the same Jesus. The same blood that bought you is the same blood that bought me. There's no difference. Yours is red, the same red blood. Mine is not blue. So we are only caretakers. Unfortunately, today, many people have put their faith in pastors rather than in Jesus, the one who owns the church. 
And that is why we get so disappointed. And that is why we run from church to church. And, and I was telling someone the other day that I pray that it is not the case in my church because she was telling me something about their, their church and how some people still come to the church and then they go to another place. And I was like, ah, but I know this church. I know the man of God. I know the power the man of God has. Yet people still move from this church and go to another place. Hey, then people have problems So. No, that's because people put their faith in men rather than in Christ. And he says that it is my church. If he wants to do what he wants to do, he will do it. So you stay with him. You stay with him as long as you can stay with him till he does what he says he will do in your life. Don't put your faith in Pastor Ima because the day that maybe you might expect me to pray for you, that day my body might break down and I might not even be able to open my mouth to say a word for you. So what happens to you? Your faith is shaken because it is in a man that can be broken. Look, when the anointing comes on us, we are different men, but we are still men. So put your faith in only one, Jesus Christ. This church, you never, never have me let you put your faith in me. Hey, the day I let you do that, we are, we are both in trouble. Are you getting me? We are both, so let your faith be in Jesus. When you are coming to church, no matter what God uses me to do, don't let your faith be in me. Let your faith be in him. So you don't need us to invite a prophet before you, you come and then the whole place is full. It is said this prophet that you can see. What, what sort of life is that? No, who makes the prophet see? God. If God closes the eyes of the prophet, he can't see anything. So the faith is in only one. He says it's his church. When he says it's his church, it means that there are other gatherings known as church. But they do not belong to him. So he's not responsible for them. And I want to say this, that not everything that looks like church is God's church. Not everything, not every gathering in the name of Jesus is church. He says, I will build my church. It means that Jesus has his church. The devil also has his something called church. Because the word church is ecclesia. It doesn't only belong to us as Christians. It is a term that can be used for any gathering. So the devil also has his church. That's why some people, some of, some of us, we step in places because you are looking for solution. You go and step in a certain place. It says, oh, this prophet is powerful. This person is powerful. That place is not church. By the time you leave, you have contaminated yourself and you have more trouble than you left. And let me tell you something about these things that, these places that look like church, they operate with what we call familiar spirits. And familiar spirits know, have information about your background, have information about you because they are, they are spirits. They can see around you. They are not, they can't know everything, but they know, they know around you. They know you ate banquet yesterday. They know, I mean, they know, they know your, they know your date of birth. After all, even computers know your date of birth. I mean, human beings know, you provide details. They know, they know, they know your uncle's name. They know, I mean, this is not news because if another human being can know your uncle's name. So they operate with familiar spirits and they can tell you the things that you want to hear and you think it is from God, but it's not from God. When the devil came to Jesus, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He said, even the devils believe and they tremble. So the devils, they also believe the same word. So the fact that you receive a word of precision does not mean it's from God. I want you to be careful about this. So there are things that look like his church, but they are not his church. And today we're going to look at what makes his church. 
So that when you find yourself in a place that is his church, you will stay there because what? It is his church. So Jesus said that he will build his church. Now take note that Jesus said, I will build my church. It means that he's taking responsibility for the building of his church. The word built in the Greek means to be a house builder. That is construct. In fact, that word means to found or to establish. So when Jesus says, I'll build my church, the first implication is that he'll be the founder of his church. It means that the church of God originates from Jesus. And you know, when someone is the founder of something, it means that whatever he's founding or whatever he's establishing must run with his vision. How many of you are good about that? If you found a company or you establish a company, it is running with what? Your vision. So when Jesus says that he will build his church, it means that he's the founder of his church. He's the originator of his church. So it is his vision we are running with, not our own vision. That is why even as pastors, our greater, one of our greatest responsibilities is always to go back to him. And seek his face and ask him, what is the next thing? It is his vision. And as a church, the blueprint of the vision that Jesus has for us as a church is in the word of God. What is written in the word. How we are supposed to live our lives, it is his vision. It is in the word. How our lives are supposed to look is in the word. Everything that we are supposed to do is in the word. If it doesn't conform with the word, please, it is not from God. People of God, are you getting me? So we run with what? His vision, not our vision. And sometimes it's very amazing when God does something once and it brings a certain result, how we come around that and make a doctrine out of it. For instance, if I came to church today and God led me that I should pray over water and then drink it, and then you drank it and those who have stomach problems are healed and something, then all of a sudden, the next Sunday you come, we put a label on it, miracle water. And we don't, it's not like we are even giving the miracle water free. We are selling the miracle water. And then people are buying the miracle water. I mean, like last Friday, like this, God led um, uh, Pastor Festus to, to let us remove our feet as a symbol of establishment. But that is just a one-time thing. It doesn't mean that every Sunday when we come, or every time we come, remove your shoe. Charlie, God is establishing our feet. The vision is, is from him. We, we, we don't create our own system. To allow God to move. And that's the unfortunate thing. The unfortunate thing is that today we have created what we want to see. And we say, God, now come and support it. And God says, no, it is what I want. So you do what I want. And I, and I love it sometimes. I love it. I love the amazing suggestions that you bring to me. I mean, a lot of ideas. But if you've realized, especially those of you who speak a lot to me about ideas, if you realize when you talk about it, I say, okay, I've heard. But the thing is that the fact that I've heard, and my wife will tell you, she's my closest companion. She can even tell me an idea. But once it, is, it doesn't signify with the vision that God has given to me, we are not moving with it. Because one day I'm going to be accountable to God for all of you. I don't want to get to heaven and God said, I didn't ask you to do this and you did it. Or I asked you to do this and you did not do it. It is his vision. He's the one who gave the, you, you think that, you think it is just nice being a pastor, just nice. Like, you, you, I mean, do you, know that, do you know what it takes? So if I'm going to do it, then I better do it well. 
People of God, are you getting me? If I'm going to do it, then I what? Do it. And you have to support me for us to do it well. When God gives us a vision that this is where I want you to go, and I cast the vision, I know some of you, you might have your doubts because you are not there when God spoke to me. You might have, but, but say that once pastor, at least we have a track record that when pastor says that, that God says we should do it, sometimes it might not make any sense, but when we take the step, God actually does it. Just, just please support me so that we can all go with the vision. Because sometimes this road can be lonely. Especially when you are following the vision of God. Sometimes some of you say, oh, this church is doing this. Pastor, can we do this? We don't do things because another church is doing it. We do things because God wants us to do it. What will work for church A might not work for church B because the vision that God has given to church A is not the same vision he has given to church B. So we don't tell the same line. We only follow what the blueprint that the master has given to us. And can I... Can I break some news to you? As long as I'm your pastor, I'll be following the chief shepherd. So just follow me. When he says that I'll build my church, you know, the, the word um, build in the Greek means a house builder. And when I was reading a bit about it, a house builder is an expert builder who builds for as a business. So it means that that person knows how to build. The person has experience. The person has the skill. So when Jesus uses the word build, he's saying that I know how to build my church. I know how to make my church work. I know how to get it where it's supposed to be. And so I will build my church. You see, God left the building of his church to us as human beings. The church will not be where it is now. He says, I know. I know what to do. In fact, when he says that I'll build my church, it means I know how to bring the right people. I know how to bring the right factors. I know how to bring the right um, environment. I know how to bring the right timing together so that my church can grow and become what it's supposed to be. Do you know that is where my encouragement is? That whenever I look at this church and it is not the picture that God showed to me, I always keep it in my mind. He will build his church. He will build his church. He will build his church. I will do my part, but he will build his church. He will make it established because he knows how to build it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when I'm stuck, I go to him, the master builder. Lord, I'm stuck. I don't know what, what is next. I've done everything I can do. What is next? He will build it. He will build it. Now, the last thing that Jesus makes in that statement is that I will build. He said, he turned to Peter and said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And that's one of the statements that has generated a lot of theological debate. In fact, when you read a lot of the Bible commentaries, there are different interpretations. Now, Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, I'll build my church. There are people who think that Jesus was saying that Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. Because the name Peter in the Greek is the word Petros, which means a stone or a chip from a rock. But then when you read the other Greek word rock that Jesus uses, he uses another word called Petra. And that word means a mass rock, a mass of rock or a solid rock. And so there are different interpretations, but this is how I understand it after studying it and then reading everything I can read. That Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, Petros, you are a stone. 
you are out of a rock. So you have characteristics of a rock. But you have said something right now. What he said is that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is a much stronger rock. It is a firmer foundation than just you, Peter. So upon this rock, the revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church. Now let me try to explain it. He says that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one to do what? The anointed one who was called by God to come and save humanity. So Jesus was saying that on the foundation of the revelation that I am the Christ, the anointed one, the one that has come to save and redeem the world, on this foundation, I will build my church. In other words, Peter, you are a stone. You are a, a, a chipping from a rock. You can, you can also do something, but you can't, you can't be as solid as this revelation. And, and the reason why I think that people get it wrong when they think Jesus said that um, upon Peter I'll build my rock or my church is the fact that Peter himself, immediately after giving this revelation that Jesus, you are the son of the living God, he started telling him, he started rebuking Jesus, do not go to the cross. Do you know the next thing Jesus told him? Satan, get thee behind me. Now, now if it was, if, if Jesus was going to build on Peter, that the next moment Peter was denying Jesus. If Jesus was going to build on Peter, then the church was going to be an unstable church. Because a stone can easily be moved. But the mass of rock cannot be moved. So he says that on the basis that I am the Christ, I will establish my church. Do you know what it means? It means that for every local church to even come into existence, there's a foundation. The foundation is that the people that come in must believe that Jesus is the Christ. So he says, I'm going to build my church on this one thing that... That Jesus is the Christ. That is why for every church that grows, there's one very important thing. A factor is that the people bring in people into the Lord. Because the more people get to know Jesus as the Christ, the more the church grows. Since I will build my church on this one thing, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah. And there are some scriptures that support that Jesus is actually the, cross, the, the rock that he was referring to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized in, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. Look at what he says. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Can you imagine? The people of Israel in the Old Testament... The Bible says the rock that they drank from was what? Christ. So Jesus is the rock that was symbolized. And the reason why the rock was Christ is I'm the living water. Anyone who drinks from me shall never thirst. So Jesus is what? The rock of our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9 to 10. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me. And this is Paul talking. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Then look at the verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I have laid the foundation, but the foundation I actually laid is Jesus Christ. 
that, that Jesus is what? The Christ. So anytime we establish something that is of God, the key characteristic is that Jesus is the Christ. If we don't confess that Jesus is the Christ, it is not church. Oh, when you come and it is about, um, Charlie, our pastor is powerful and it's not Jesus exalted, it is not church. He said, oh, come to my church. Charlie, when you come to my church, the music is beautiful. Uh, what do you call it? Our pastor, he's very exciting. Oh, he can, he can joke with a lot of people. Hey, we have some family, family lunch, and then we have this. Like, when we are at the old place, some people said that, hey, this church, they will go because they like giving tea. And, and, and what, at those times, we used to chill a lot. And tea and yogurt. So, so no, if, if those are the reasons for which people come in, then they miss it because the reason for which people come in is that Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one that can save them. He's the only one that can redeem them. So from now, when you are telling people to come to church, tell them that I want you to come and meet a certain man. He's called Jesus. Oh, come on, come on, come on. I want you to come and meet him. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that can redeem you. He's the only one that can deliver you. He's the only one that can set you free. Come to him and he will save you. Because it is on this that the church is built. After all, Peter, the first day he rose up to preach, the, first, the message was that Jesus is the Christ, the one you crucify. He is the one God has appointed to save you. And then the Bible says 3,000 people got saved. Because that's how the church is built. Unfortunately, today, today's church, we build it on many other things. We build it on how beautiful the light is in the church. We build it on how the AC is chilling in the church. We build it on how good the is. All these things are nice. That's what we are doing. Then They are nice, but they are not the core. The core is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Please turn to your neighbor and tell the person, Jesus is the Christ. Tell the person, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. My time is up. So the second part of the statement, it says, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So I said the word, the Greek word is actually Hades. The gates of what? Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, the moment Jesus says, I will build, and he introduces and says that the gates of Hades shall not prevail, what he's trying to say that the building of the church attracts battle and warfare. The moment he says, I will build, and something will not prevail against it, it means that the building of the church immediately attracts warfare. So, so, you know, when I was preparing this message, then I, I, I began to understand why we've gone through a lot of the things that we have gone through. I said, ah, oh, the reason why we have had a lot of attacks is because the moment God establishes his church in a place, the kingdom of darkness becomes troubled. They are so scared about what is about to happen, so all of a sudden, battle will come. But there is good news. Jesus says that they will not prevail against it. So no matter how much the fight goes, no matter how much the war goes, no matter how much the battle goes, they will not prevail against it. They can fight all they want, but we have already been declared winners. Oh, hallelujah. Now, the word Hades is actually the region of departed spirits of the lost. I want you to understand this part. The reason why the gates of Hades will try to fight against the church is the region of the departed spirits of the lost. In other words, when people die and they don't belong to the Lord, that is where they go to. And they are reserved there for judgment. It is a place of, of darkness. But listen, listen to something. 
Why would the enemy want to fight against the church? Look, Revelation chapter 20, verse 13 to 14. The Bible says, The sea gave up the dead. Revelation 20, verse 13 to 14. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Look, look at the next one. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, so, so listen to something. The gates of Hades know that everyone that dies who does not belong to God goes there. But the end of all the people who die who do not belong to God who go there is that they will be cast into the lake of fire and they will be there forever. And that is the desire of the enemy. So this is what the enemy knows that any time a church is established, it is an opportunity for people to be diverted from the queue that is going to Hades into the queue that is going into eternity with God. And so the establishment of the church is a way of telling the enemy that we are about to pull people from the queue and bring them to God. So all of a sudden, the Bible says the gates of Hades begin to rise against the church. And when we talk about gates, in the olden time, the gates signified the place of power. Because the people who sat at the gates were the people who were governing and ruling the cities. And they sat at the gates to have counsel and decide how things would go with the city. So the moment Jesus said, I'm going to establish my church, do you know what it means? The people that are governing the gates of Hades all of a sudden become concerned. They're like, hey, tell you, we are going to lose people. We are not going to have as many people as possible to join us in hell. So all of a sudden, they begin to rise against the church. That is why in some communities, Communities, you will see that churches never grow beyond a certain level. I mean, when we came to Amman here and we were about to establish the church, a woman walked to me and told me that, Pastor, I know they heard you. And, and you know, when she told me that this place is a hard place, I looked at her and smiled. Because you know what? I wasn't coming into a soft place. I was coming into a place that God has assigned. Whether it is hard or not, we will break through because the gates of Hades cannot stand against the church of God. That is why I'm declaring to you that our presence here has already sent signals to the camp of the enemy. And that's why they are fighting. They will fight against us. They will do all forms of things. We have received our fair share of battles. Look, my family and I have received our fair share of battles from the enemy because of what God is doing here. But I'm telling you that I am not moved by what the gates of Hades will do. Because the one who is building his church, he has more power than the power of the enemy. And he's able to give us victory in the name of Jesus. So they can fight. They can war. They can battle. They can do all they want. But we'll break through. Oh, whether they like it or not, we are possessing this community for Jesus. Whether they like it or not, we are taking this territory for God. One of the prayers I've been praying recently is that any limitation on churches in this community, that they can't grow beyond a certain level, we, we break out of it. Yeah. Oh yes, I have spoken it and we are praying it and we are declaring it. By the time they say, Jack, hey, how did this happen that thousands of people are flocking to the Lord? That instead of Saturday, instead of seeing the hundreds of people by that club there, they are running to the house. Oh, come on, come on, come on. They are running to the house of the Lord. Eventually, we have a Saturday evening service and people, instead of going to the nightclub and the pubs, they are coming to the house of the Lord and the kingdom of darkness is scattered and they are wondering, how did this happen? It's only because our Lord Jesus declared 2,000 years ago and said that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against his church. 
That is where our confidence is. Oh, that's where assurance is. You know what? The word prevail means that. Let me just wrap. The, the word prevail, when it says prevail, it means to be strong to another person's detriment. It, it, it means that, Ike, you are strong. I am strong. And possibly at our level, we might not see any winner. So you go and fortify yourself, whichever way you fortify yourself. Either you eat well or you build your muscles so that you can have the upper hand. So when he says that the gates of hell will not prevail, it means that when the enemy decides to increase their power, automatically by the declaration of Jesus, our power increases double. There is no day that the gates of hell will have more power than the power of the church. No matter how much the church sleeps, the power of God is stronger than the gates of the kingdom of darkness. So when I was preparing this message, you know, sometimes I go out so disguised like, God, what is happening to your church? Because right now you enter into a lot of places and it looks like church, but they are, they are doing all forms of things that are not church. And I was like, God, won't, I mean, like we need a revival. We need a breakthrough. Do you know, when I was studying the scripture, then I realized that no matter how much the, the church goes down, there is always a way God will cause it to be lifted up. Oh yeah, you read church history and you realize that the church has messed up at different times. But because of this singular statement of Jesus, the gates of Hades will not prevail. So anytime the church looks like it's slumping and going, do you know what God is doing? He's preparing someone like David in the wilderness. When the Philistines think they've gained the upper hand, then God is preparing a David in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, one day, when the David is ready, God says, I am ready to unleash the David to defeat the Goliath and to defeat the Philistines. That is what God is going to do with the church. And God is raising giants amongst us. He's raising people who have the power, who have the skill, who have the authority, and stand against the kingdom of darkness. Say that although people are compromising, as for us, we shall stand for what is right. Although people are going in the wrong way, we shall go in the right way. Although people are giving up the faith, we will stand strong in the faith. Because God says, I will build my church. And when he says he will build his church, he will build his church. So I said, Lord, I want to be that vessel that you reserve for this time. This end times where everything is becoming trans and everything is becoming immoral and things are going down and churches are beginning to induct gay bishops and all, all sorts of things. And the devil thinks he's having a field day. The camp of the enemy think that they have gotten the church. Yes, they think that they have gotten the church. But there's something about Jesus. He says that you might have thought that you've gotten the church, but I am the one building my church. He's the one building his church. That is why Jesus can move someone away and put someone there the next moment because he wants to build his church. When the pastors begin to mess up, Jesus gives them mercy for some time to repent. When they don't repent, it is his church. He shifts them out of the place and raises a whole new generation. Then the whole new generation comes with new fire and all of a sudden, like the kingdom of darkness is in pandemonium because they were wondering, how did it happen that, that our works have been scattered all of a sudden? That is why I have so much faith that even in Europe and in the Western world where the church was so active and now it is down, God is about to cause a revival, a stirring that will shift something in Europe. Oh yeah, in this last time, God is about to do something that will shift. All of a sudden, the enemy will be surprised. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of God. So Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The battle might look like it is physical, but it's very much spiritual. They will attack in different ways. And that is why one of the things that I'm going to say is that don't let the devil use you as a tool to try to prevail against the church of God. Because you know what? The devil cannot work except through a human being. And God will also work only through what? Human beings. So the devil is going to work. That is why a church can be doing so well. Then all of a sudden, just some two, three people begin to something. They start doing some concern. Something has happened and this and that and that and this and that. Before you realize the church is scattering. That is how the enemy works. He infiltrates. But I pray that you will not be an agent for the enemy to use or a medium for the enemy to use. That when you begin to see the signs, when people begin to come to you and they start saying, can you see that now the church, this is that and that, tell them please, I don't want to hear anything. Because there is no perfect church until we are raptured. So as long as you are in any local church, there will be imperfections. The pastor is not perfect. The leaders are not perfect. The people in the church are not perfect. You yourself, you are not perfect. So don't expect a perfect church. But just be in it if it is a church that is glorifying God. And help and let's all get it built. Because Jesus will work through us to build his church. But if you allow the enemy, he will use you. And by the time you finish and you scatter the church, you, you'll be like Judas. you go back to your room and say, what have I done? And possibly your end might even be worse than Judas. Do not let the enemy use you. Let God use you to build his church. Let me wrap up with this. What are the three things that we have to do? Number one, we have to keep showing to the world that Jesus is the Christ. That is the way the church will be built. This church, you and I have to show the people in the community that Jesus is the Christ. We have to speak to them about Jesus. We have to let our lives show them that Jesus is the Christ. We have to point them to Jesus. The more we do that, the more God will fill this place. That's it. So we are going to let people know that Jesus is the Christ. We have to tell them. We have to let them know. You have to preach to them. Some of you, since you got born again, you've never preached to anyone. You've never told anyone about Jesus. If, if, if you are even shy from the onset, start with your WhatsApp status. Start with your Facebook pages. Tell people Jesus is the Christ. Come to Jesus. He loves you. After all, people still look at the WhatsApp status. Instead of putting all forms of nonsense there. <laughs> so that people can laugh. and oh, God, God, God. Hey, I like your status. Put another one there again, okay? Put another one there. No, no, no. Put Jesus is the Christ. I like something that Shalom always does. I mean, I, I, like, I like to I mean, comment people. When, whenever I put a video on my status, Pastor, please send. Then the next moment, he has also put it up because the point is that we want to make sure the space is there. People are putting up on some things, that, but you want to make sure that people get the gospel of Jesus. After all, it's the same data. So share what will bring light to people. Share what will bring light to people. Number two, Stand in the authority of the assurance we have in the scriptures that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church of God. We have to stand in that authority. You and I have to stand in that authority. When we see that something is not going well in your department, don't wait for pastor to come and stand in the authority in the name of Jesus. Go on your knees and pray for the department. Yesterday, I like something that Andrew said. He said, 
I think we're having a discussion like, oh, the Friday, Friday service, a lot of our people did not come because, I mean, when you look at the people that came somewhere from Pastor Festus Church, somewhere from the headquarters, then Andrews made a statement and said, ah, but you and I, all of us were supposed to, in one way or the other, draw someone in. How many of you prayed into Energize? How many of you? You see, you are leaving everything, oh, Pastor Ivan's Pastor Ivan's job. He's the one. He's the pastor. Let him do it. No, no, but if God is going to build his church, he's going to build it through all of us. So you're coming to church. You call your neighbor. Oh, I've not seen you in church in a while. Oh, come today. You, you, are, you are part of the process of building the church. Saturday night, before you sleep, Father, tomorrow we are going to have a service. I don't know the condition in which pastor is, but I know that you want to use him. Please have mercy on him. Even if he's not ready, have mercy on him and use him. That's a prayer. Even the great apostle Paul needed prayer. Emmanuel J needs prayer. This church needs prayer. So pray. We are, you see, what it, has, what it does is that we all put our hands together and we say we are building. We are allowing God to use us to build. Then the third thing that you have to do is that you must be vigilant so that you are not overtaken by the schemes of the powers of Hades. Because the, the devil is very smart. The devil does not come like the horns that we see. You. No, 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 no. He comes in a very, very, very tactful way. Oh, Jesus, you have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You are hungry. Would you command these stones and turn them to bread? How harmful is that? Turn the stones into bread and eat. How harmful is that? But that was a trick of the enemy. He comes in different ways. Sometimes he comes. Just infiltrate one, two, three people. That's all. That's all he needs for the church to break up. Sometimes. That's all. And one of the things that you need to do is that you need to tell yourself that God, please don't, don't let me at any point in time allow the enemy to come through me. Because Peter, that Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The Father has revealed this. Peter, Jesus said, the Father has revealed this to you. The next moment, the devil had also revealed something to Peter. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Look, the dimensions of the spirit are so open that either God or the devil can come in and use you at any time. So you have to tell God, that God, help me that I will never be used by the enemy. Because sometimes some of you, it will just be one statement you say that will break the pastor. You just say one statement and then you might not even say it to the pastor, but the next person will go and say it and say it in a certain way and then that's a, like then the pastor will be sitting there, oh, what have I done? To deserve this. I'm telling you the things that we go through as pastors. Some of the things we hear, we don't tell you. Some of the things we hear, we we just we just tell God, God, please help me not to keep any bitterness in my heart. That's all. And we forgive and we love you, regardless of all of that. Don't let the devil use you. Because you never know, maybe that day the pastor might already have been crying and thinking that God, I don't even know how the church is going. I don't know how things are going. Then all of a sudden the pastor hears what you are saying. It's like, okay, it's okay, enough. And outside the country, pastors are resigning like nobody's business. In, in the U.S., COVID, post-COVID, 50% of pastors in America resigned. Because you think pastors, they are also human beings. And if the people that God wants to use to build this church do not allow God to use them and they allow the, the enemy to use them, then you, are, you, you account for it. As for the church, it will grow. Even if it comes down, it will grow because Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. But you account for that which you did. So may God help us that we will be builders, that God will work through us 
to build his church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. In Jesus' name, shout a big amen. You want to close your eyes and talk to the Lord and tell the Lord that, Lord, I thank you for showing me Christ. Ah, you want to rise to your feet and tell the Lord that, Lord, thank you for the revelation of Christ to me. Thank you that you revealed Christ to me because it is on the basis of you knowing Christ that you are here today. Tell the Lord that I thank you for revealing Christ to me. Thank you for revealing Christ to me. In the name of Jesus, thank you for revealing Christ to me. Because without the revelation, and Jesus said, uh, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but only the Father, the Father. So it is the Father that reveals, it's the Father that reveals, it's the Father that reveals. Rakatavande, Lemazonde Yakava, Rikete Yandaya, Imando Shalavakuzinde Yakabra. Lord, thank you for revealing Christ to us, O God. Thank you, O God, in the name of Jesus. Boko Shatayaha. You want to pray that God use me to show Christ to many people. That's your prayer. Use me to show Christ to many people. And use me, O God, for the building of your church in the name of Jesus. Use me, O God, for the building of your church in the much less mighty name of Jesus.